Dr. Katie Allen, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Sam. You're a woman of many talents and uh, we'd go through your bio, but it's so long and distinguished, we simply don't have time. Do you ever rest? Have you ever had a holiday? I think the thing is, ask a busy person, as they say. But it'd be just be fair enough to say that I'm a pediatrician wanting to make a difference. You're a medical specialist and your specialty is, you're an allergist. Some of your latest strings to your bow are being a federal member of parliament. Congratulations. That was quite the achievement. Thank you. And the main question is, what is more political, medicine or politics? Funny you say that, actually, because people say, oh, gosh, it must be so hard up in Canberra. And I say, any time you try to get something done, politics is involved, whether it's deciding in the car with the kids which restaurant we're going to, or you're trying to get a paper published, or you're trying to get the direction of the country going in the right direction. There's always politics involved. It's just about power imbalance and about compromise. I've, I had, I've say, had some experience in the allergy world, and I found it to be somewhat political, I must say. Yes. And the latest achievement is you've got your own podcast now. Let's promote that. It's called An Apple a Week with Dr. Katie Allen. Tell us a quick little snippet about your podcast. Thank you. I do a weekly podcast. That's why it's called An Apple a Week with Dr. Katie Allen. And I'm talking to the futures, the leaders of today about the futures of tomorrow. So I've talked to, to wide-ranging guests, including John Howard and Jeremy Hunt, Alan Finkel, Chief Medical Chief Scientist of Australia, former Chief Scientist of Australia. And it's about talking honestly about what we can do to make sure our future is strong. Awesome. Congratulations. And people can find that on Spotify. 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 You have to get an Audacity podcast as well. I will. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about allergic rhinitis and allergic asthma. And what I really want to do is go back to the absolute basics because we have a million people who utilize the Melbourne Pollen Service every year and lots of people who are on the Allergy Pal app and you're one of the co-founders of Allergy Pal as well. And what we know from feedback, a lot of people really don't understand the fundamentals of what is happening in their body when they are experiencing the symptoms of allergic rhinitis. And we've just done a podcast with Ed Newbigin, who's the founder of Melbourne Pollen, and he explained to us exactly what pollen is. So what I would love to know is when a person who suffers from allergic rhinitis comes into contact with pollen, what exactly is occurring in their body when, the, when those little bits of pollen get into their nose or into their eyes? Tell us what happens. I suppose the first thing to say is I'm trained as a gastroenterologist and has, have got into allergy through food allergy. So my main interest has been food allergy. But as someone who manages children with allergy, of course, allergy comes as a family, unfortunately. And so we have something called the allergic march where children may present with eczema in the first few years of life. So they then go on to develop food allergy. They then in adolescence or in later childhood get allergic rhinitis and asthma. So that's called the atopic march, which is the way that you present with allergic disease um, can be different through different stages of your life. And some people get some of those conditions and others unfortunately get all of them. But if you ever managing one of the allergic diseases, there's this concept that you do try and manage all of those allergic diseases because what's underpinning all of these symptoms is usually a common mechanism. So what it is, is that the body doesn't understand what it's looking at. A foreign object comes flying into your nose, in the case of allergic rhinitis, into your mouth in the, when it's food allergy or through your skin when it's atopic dermatitis or eczema. So with allergic rhinitis, 
your nose as a first line of defense is reacting to triggers. And those triggers are a type of protein that activates your immune system. And your immune system is in your body so that it can fight normally infections. But sometimes it gets a bit confused and it fights something that it thinks is foreign, like a piece of pollen, when it shouldn't be. So allergy is a misfiring of the immune system and fighting a protein, which is a substance in the pollen, that makes your body react. And that causes all these symptoms that people would know about. So your nose might swell, you might have trouble breathing, you might have a runny nose, an itchy nose. With children, we used to say they can have the, they're rubbing their nose and have a little sort of crease on the top of their nose because they're rubbing it so much. You might have snoring at night. And it can also affect other allergic conditions. So there's a well-known sort of association that poorly managed allergic rhinitis can activate your asthma as well. Step back. Yeah. Can I take a step back? So the pollen comes into your nose. Now you've got all the little hairs in your nose. So I'm sure I'm assuming that what has to happen, what Ed told us is that pollen is little packets of cells. When the pollen comes in and finds a nice little moist environment, those, that packet of cells breaks open. And then are those cells then getting into your bloodstream? How does your body know that there is a foreign object that it needs to fight? Is it, is something having to get into your mucosa? Like what's actually happening down at a cellular? Yeah. So it depends whether you're talking about pollen getting into causing no symptoms, which means it's just getting into the lining of your nose, or in the case of something called thunderstorm asthma, the pollen is cracked open by changes in humidity and the environment and water gets into the pollen, cracks it open, and it gets into become a smaller particle and goes down into your airways and into your lungs. So the different symptoms you get depending on where the pollen is depositing, but in allergic rhinitis, it's just depositing in your nose. And in your nose, you have this whole sort of line of cells that some of those cells are a defense mechanism against a foreign invader. And they get alarmed and then they trigger off this cascade that runs off to other cells that come back and start pounding your nose with explosives. And those explosives are basically histamine, which is why if you have a treatment, either a topical nasal treatment, such as antihistamine, it's to try and reverse the symptoms of histamine. And the histamine is what causes all these other symptoms that make your nose run and your eyes water and make you feel itchy and it makes you feel like you want to scratch the inside of your nose. So this is all happening in the lining of the nose. It's not about what's happening. It's not getting into the bloodstream itself. Well, when your immune system is activated, there's the, the lining of the mucosa and then it signals to your immune system. Now, the immune system is an army of cells that run around in the bloodstream and they enter into parts of the lining of tissues. But yes, there's a cross communication between the lining of the wall and then all the little soldiers that are running around in your bloodstream. Why do some people get affected and some people not? That's really the $64 million question for all allergic disease, quite frankly. We think that there's a genetic predisposition. Some people are more prone to developing allergic diseases than others, but we don't really know why some people are more prone to allergies at a sort of family, from a family point of view. So for instance, with eczema and food allergy, we know that these are new, a genetic, you know, if you inherited it as a problem, then it must've been around forever. So we think it's something in the environment that has changed over time, which makes people more prone to allergic disease. We don't know what that is exactly. It's called the modern lifestyle. Some people call it affluenza because, for instance, with food allergy, we know that children born in Asia 
don't get food allergy, but if they're Asian and they're born in Australia, their rates of food allergy are even higher than Australian children born in Australia. So there's something that they're genetically predisposed to, but they don't get the condition if they're born in Asia and it's uncovered as a risk when they're born in Australia. Now, in food allergy, my understanding is oftentimes it's a protein. So it could be the protein in the peanut. Is it a protein in the pollen? Is that, is it the same mechanism of action that's creating the immune defense system to misfire? Yes. So there's the substances in food and these sorts of things are proteins and carbohydrates and fats. So it's the protein is the component that the immunoglobulin, which is the kind of the part of the immune system that attaching. So you have cells that have these little spikes on the outside of them and they need to attach to the pollen, process the pollen, and then it causes another whole army to come and say, oh, we've seen this piece of pollen. We don't like it. It's an invader. So the army comes and attacks it and it does it through linking it to something called antibodies. So it's a, a part of the immune system that's the immunoglobulin E and that system is attaching to a protein. So proteins are the ones or the stimulation or stimulants that activate the immune system. For someone who doesn't suffer from allergic rhinitis, those proteins are coming in and the body says, but yep, that's fine. We recognize it. It's not a threat. Is then the body just disposes of it somehow? They don't really cross. There's something called sampling that goes along at the linings of mucosa, whether it's your gut mucosa or your nose mucosa. So there's these cells sitting there sampling what comes through. So there's some interaction, but they don't get taken up and taken to a different room, so to speak. It's, right. it's the interaction. It's the lining of the nose that's sampling and fla the flavors that come through your nose. And, and then it rejects some of them and some of them goes, oh, well, this is an alarm. Let's go and send off for people to come, other parts of the immune system to come and support us, attacking so it to get rid of it. It's like a doorman in a nightclub. It lets yeah, some people yeah. in and not other people and there's no, no one yeah. really knows why. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Good summary. All right. So we've covered off AR and that's probably, I'm assuming it's the same for people who suffer from eye-related allergic bronchitis symptoms. It's just some kind of... So allergic conjunct conjunctivitis. Yeah, same it, sort of thing. It's an inflammation. There's some defense going on. Yeah. Now for people who suffer from allergic asthma, and you mentioned how those particles are getting broken up into smaller bits and getting into the lungs. Is there a similar thing going in the lungs where there's a lining and we've got this dorm in there who's saying, you can't come here, we do or don't like you. And what's happening in the lungs that cause the symptoms? Is that inflammation or is it the same IgE antibodies causing problems down, in, down deep in there? Yeah. The definition of inflammation means cells of the immune system being attracted. So IgE is a, an allergic inflammation. So it's an inflammation that attracts types of allergy cells. So you get more eosinophils, which are allergic type cells. So the lining of the lung has the same sort of interaction where it's sampling and tasting these foreign particles that are coming into the lung and causing an allergic reaction. And then that allergic reaction attracts things like allergic cells from the immune system. So you get more eosinophils. There are lots of different types of asthma and there are lots of different triggers for asthma. Some people are triggered by pollens, but other, trigger, other people are triggered by other kind of allergic conditions, house dust mites, dogs and cats, those sorts of things. And then also there's non-allergic asthma as well. So there's lots of different types of asthma. And so at this point in time, it's very important for me to say to your listener, if you have symptoms of allergic rhinitis or inflammation of the eyes from pollen, so allergic conjunctivitis or allergic asthma, please go and see your doctor. And they can do testing 
to see whether there's anything in the environment that is causing triggers of these symptoms. And that is a very helpful thing to have done. And by going to see your doctor, they can refer you to an allergist for testing to see what triggers might be causing your symptoms. Now, we know that lots of the people who use the Melbourne Pollen Service and probably lots of people who use Allergy Pal as well, tell us that they have, or they suffer from these types of symptoms, but they haven't been officially diagnosed. So tell us, you say it's important. Why is it important? Is it potentially life-threatening for people? What is the real reason that you should go and speak to your doctor? Because you can treat it, you can avoid it. So the most important thing is that a lot of these conditions are intermittent and sometimes lifelong. So if you're going to start using over-the-counter treatment, it's much better that you use the one that's right for you. And there are lots of people I've seen who've been given giving themselves the wrong treatment. So the first thing is get an accurate diagnosis. Is it hay fever or is it something else? Is it asthma or is it something else? The second thing is you do want to be able to identify what's causing your asthma. Is it allergic asthma or non-allergic asthma? Is it allergic hay fever or is it something else that's causing your nose to run? It's important to get that definition and that diagnosis because you can get the treatment that's right for you. You can get the management that's right for you. And that includes eliminating the things that are causing it in the first place or avoiding those things through skin prick testing, which is an allergy test that can give you a direction about what things might be triggering you, but also getting the right medication at the right time and the right place for you. An example of that is for patients I used to see who had seasonal allergic rhinitis, meaning it came on during certain seasons, is I would recommend for some of them that we would start antihistamines on September 1st because we wanted to get ahead of the hay fever season that was particularly problematic for them. Your listeners will know that there are lots of different seasonal grasses and seasonal pollens that have a peak at different months of the year. And there's some pollens that are early in the season. There are some grasses that are late in the season. So your doctor can help direct you on when to ramp up or ramp down your antihistamines. Do you need to be on a long-term preventer because your symptoms are longer or stronger or more problematic? So there's a lot of information your doctor can give you the right diagnosis and the right treatment, and they can tailor it to your triggers. And you can use the Melbourne Pollen app to keep a record of when you are symptomatic. And then you can look back and see what was in the air on that day that I was symptomatic. And that can that be good, good information to share with your doctor? Will that help them? Absolutely. Or would they, will they it, just run a skin prick test irrespective? Absolutely directs what skin prick testing they may or may not do and don't need to do. If you have year-round symptoms, you might be more likely to have a house stuff smite problem. So they'll be directed by the symptoms that you declare to them and the, and the Polynaps wouldn't because with your clinician's support, you can map it to symptoms that you're having to be accurate. But then there's also all this data that's being collected by third parties about when the pollen seasons are. So you can correlate your symptoms directly with when the pollen counts are highest. So it is important, it just confirms what you said, go and talk to your doctor and make sure you're taking the right medication at the right time. Correct. And then everyone is a little bit different and, you know, it, we have some of the best healthcare in the world. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that to get the best care for you? Hmm. Is there any other advice that you give to patients? You've seen tons of kids over the journey and I'm sure lots of adults ask you questions. In terms of managing symptoms, particularly at this time of year, which is a tough time of year for people, what are your doctorly tips and tricks for people? 
I think the is trying to minimize your triggers. And so you want to do it in a way that's consistent with keeping a great lifestyle. If you're allergic to grasses, then you probably don't want to be rolling around in your grass. But if you're not allergic to grasses, you don't need to worry about it. So I would be really advising people that going and getting some skin prick testing or blood tests done with your allergist to work out what are your triggers means then you can take steps. I know people who are allergic to a cat, so they will be careful going to someone who has a house with a cat or they won't have a cat themselves. When it comes to pollens, there are pollen count days that are very high that you'll get some warnings about. And so some people just make a choice that they won't go to parks on those days or they will stay indoors on those days because they want to keep their exposure to that particular pollen at that particular time of the year to a minimum. But if they do need to go outside, they might wear sunglasses because that will stop um, more excess pollen getting into their eyes and onto their mucosa or they might make take steps on a particularly windy day that they'll stay out of the wind. So there are ways to simplify or minimize your pollen exposure by checking the pollen app and looking for the high pollen days and then taking steps to avoid windy and high pollen days when you know that those particular pollens are going to aggravate your particular symptoms. And the other thing, as I do say, is that helping people to remember to wash their hands, just simple measures to try and minimize the pollen exposure they've got. And the other thing is people also might want to use, make sure that they're, some people do use types of cleaning, air cleaning, air filters and things like that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about how effective they are, but some people like to use those as well to go an extra step. I would like to say just a little bit about thunderstorm asthma because it's only been really recognized in the last sort of decade or so. It is a very serious condition and it happens more commonly in people who have allergic rhinitis. And sometimes people can have what's called thunderstorm asthma um, as an event and they never had asthma before. So it's the first time that they are diagnosed with it. And because it's the first time they're diagnosed with it, sometimes people don't know what's happening and they get cough and wheeze and they panic and they don't go and see their doctor. So there was an event within the last 10 years that resulted in a huge amount of hospitalizations and some very bad outcomes from people not understanding that a pollen event where there was a rapid change in wind, temperature and humidity resulted in the pollen grains absorbing water, bursting open and getting to small airways and people who, who, were, who had allergic rhinitis were at risk of what is called thunderstorm asthma. So if you're a hay fever sufferer, and you start to cough and wheeze on a thunderstorm day, please go see your doctor. That's great advice. And maybe even go to the, probably go to the emergency room if you have symptoms that are concerning at all. And those symptoms would be what? Difficulty breathing predominantly? Difficulty breathing, coughing and wheezing. Go see, go to the emergency room because they can be life-threatening. Melbourne Pollen, I don't know if you know this, it's been around for about 30 years, but it was started by an emergency physician in Melbourne who noticed the correlations between people presenting with severe asthma symptoms on thunderstorm days and put two and two together and figured that perhaps there was a link between thunderstorms in pollen season and reached out to the School of Botany in Melbourne Uni. Yep, I was aware of that. And it's a fantastic resource that Melbournians are very lucky to have. And it's been expanded as a service. It's, a lot of people have done research using this data. It's helped inform and save lives. Of yep. many people both here and around the world, School of Botany and the Pollen app are fantastic additions to the armamentarium for people to be able to manage their own health. Excellent. Thanks again, Katie. And uh, trying to have a break and relax and, and <laughs> Lovely. Thanks so much, Sam. Well, Lovely to chat. Thanks, Katie. Thanks. Bye-bye.